Thanks for joining us on AutoLine this week, where we want to delve into why has the Chevrolet Volt become such a political hot potato? And besides that, where's this whole electric car thing going? And to help me figure out answers to those questions, I've got Joe White from the Wall Street Journal joining us today, Gary Witzenberg, an automotive freelancer and columnist with Autoblog Green, and Manny Lopez, the managing editor of Michigan Capital Confidential. Great having you all here on the show today. Let's get to the bottom of this. Manny, let me start with you. You're a conservative kind of a guy representing a conservative kind of organization. Why has the conservative right wing in this country gone so hot and heavy after the Chevy Volt? I think there's a couple of things. First of all, the Volt itself isn't the issue. It's the the subsidies and the and all of the, the government money that's thrown on top of it is what really rankles no, more than wrinkles that. They're, they're, they're saying, hey, you can't put a gun rack in this, as Newt Gingrich did. I, uh, others have said, Glenn Beck has said, it's a crappy car. I mean, they are going after the car. It's not just the subsidies. True. But let's also separate the right wing from fiscal conservatives across the country who are fundamentally opposed to putting $7,500 on the hood of a car that the average buyer earns $170,000 a year. So having separated those, uh, clearly there's, a, there's an issue with the Volt itself because it's, it's the car that President Obama throws out at every opportunity. And so naturally conservatives... Throws out as an example of good things, not throwing it out as into the garbage. And the future for the automotive industry, yeah. which is just complete nonsense. It's mm -hmm. never going to be the overall future of the automotive industry. It's a great car. It's a niche market, and it's got a place in the overall scheme of things. But let's be honest. I mean, Americans aren't going to buy a Volt if they're interested in hauling around, around their kids and sports equipment and everything else that they like to do. Well, look, I mean, I think, I think the Volt has got, like, levels of problems, right? And one is the fact that it is identified with, with President Obama, and even though the project was started before he became president. And, uh, and so if you're a Republican attacking the Volt's failure as a, as a, as a, as a, as a symbol of Barack Obama's uh, uh, wrong-headed economic policies, that's, that's easy. That's almost too easy. The other problem with the Volt, I think, is more substantive, and that is that, that it, it really it once again suggests that electrifying cars, and this is a partially electric car, it's a hybrid, but electrifying cars just isn't ready for prime time yet as far as, 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 as the mass market mainstream uh, of consumers goes. And I think that's I think it's a big disappointment to GM, and I can tell you, and I'm pretty sure I'm right about that, because they built so many of them and only to discover that the demand was a fraction of what they thought it was going to be. But, Gary, this car is ready for prime time, isn't it? I mean, you and I both have driven this thing. Yeah. I think it's a marvel of engineering. It, it's a small volume niche, yes. It is expensive, yes, but it works marvelously well. And uh, the beauty of it is, now, the problem with a pure electric or a battery electric, when you run out of battery, your trip is over. You can't go get a can of Volts and, you know, pour them, pour them in the car. You're, you're basically going to flatbed home or you're going to plug in you know, somebody's house overnight, uh, that's limited range. Whatever the range may be, there's a limit to it. And then it takes a long time to replace it. The extended range vehicle, of which the Volt is the primary example at this point, when your battery runs down, the engine kicks in. It's still powered by electricity, but now the engine through a generator is creating that electricity. Go as far as you want. And there, there have been so many misconceptions that have been misreported, misrepresented, by conservative media in particular, saying, well, it's only got a 40-mile range. Well, it's 25, 35, whatever, but then the engine takes over and it goes as far as you want. 
Or you have to charge up every time, you know, before you can go again. Well, that's not true. You never have to charge it if you don't want to. But why wouldn't you? Because when you do, you're running on cheap electricity. You're burning no fuel at all. I had one of these, John, for a week. And I burned about a little less than a gallon getting it from the Detroit area to 90 miles away where I live. The rest of the week, I burned no gas at all just driving around locally, just plugging it in in my garage, which is easy to do. So my entire experience with a week of that car is I've burned about eight-tenths of a gallon of gas. The car is terrific. It is expensive, but what people don't talk about too much is that you can lease the car for $349. That's a pretty reasonable lease. That's, a, that's within reach of most new car buyers. Right. Not all, yeah, but, no, but a lot that, of them. That's true. And, I, and again, I mean, I'm, not, I, I'm not totally certain that GM has done a particularly effective job yet of, of kind of communicating all of this. I mean, everything that Gary just said, um, there are a lot of misconceptions. We've quoted people in my paper, you know, clearly not aware of the way that the Volt actually works. So there is the, there's just a bunch of disconnects here. There's a disconnect. Right. I mean, part of this, I think, and it'd be interesting what other people think, is that you've got kind of a, a struggle going on as to what, what's a car for? You know, what's the role of the car in society? What's the role of the car in your life? Uh, we like... For 90 or 100 years, we wanted cars that can do everything all the time, no fuss, no muss. Electric cars and partially electric cars require some thought. What's my, you know, what for if it's an all electric? Well, how far am I going to drive today? Mm -hmm. um, the Volt, with the Volt to maximize the technology, you have to kind of think a little bit about how you drive and what, and, and be realistic about that. A lot of people don't want to do that yet. Manny, you mentioned earlier that uh, conservatives are against it because of all the subsidies involved in it. But how else do you get a segment like this going unless there's somebody priming the pump? Well, I think, first, I think you need to step back. I think the government needs to stop meddling in the automotive industry. And that's not just with the Volt. They're just too involved with everything. They make it more difficult and more expensive for the car companies to build anything. But since they put so many mandates in on the companies that have to meet these ridiculous fuel requirements, they have to build cars like the Volt. So there is an argument to be made that there ought to be some payback for that. But, I, you know, the, the, the market is not ready for it yet, as we've seen. I mean, they sold less than 10000 last year, but they put $7,500 on the hood of every single one of those. So the U.S. taxpayers put out about $45 million to, for a car that, like I said, is going to people with an average income of $170,000 a year. That's where the issue with the Volt is. I got a chance to drive it to this. I actually drove it this winter. I, I drove to Midland and back again, and it was fantastic. I never worried about it. There was no range anxiety at all. Handled perfectly fine. It was great. Let, let me but, clear Clarify a couple things. General Motors has gotten no subsidies at all to do this. General Motors did get saved by the federal government, starting with the previous president, continuing under this one. You can argue about the reasons for it and the way it was done, which I have a lot of problems with, but at least it was saved. None of that money went directly to the Volt. It was started two years before. It continued through the bankruptcy. It continued after it was launched on time, pretty much, and as a wonderful product. They have subsidized battery companies. They have subsidized other electric vehicles, smaller companies. None of that went directly. None of what General Motors got went to the Volt. That is completely independent. And I agree with you, by the way, on subsidizing the taxpayer or the consumer to buy it. Maybe we shouldn't be doing that. But that's not a Volt issue. That's an electric vehicle issue. But what it are goes the, to Nissan or any, any other vehicle. One of the, I, mean, I think one of the underlying problems that you've got, if you're trying to create a market, a natural market, for these cars, which I think, Manny, is what you're, you're kind of saying, is like, look, the, the market should decide. We shouldn't have a, 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 an invisible hand or a visible hand. Well, if you wanted to do that, we all know, everybody knows what you'd have to do. And, you know, here, here it is. You'd have to raise gas prices a lot. 
because with gas prices, even at $4 a gallon, these cars don't pencil. They don't, they, for most people, maybe not all, but most people, they don't, it doesn't really add up. The paybacks are in the decades. Um, Here's why I don't agree so, with you. And so, Here, so, so let, that's let me tell what you, you have to do to not do what Manny is right. objecting to in terms of top-down right. regulation. He, I used to be one who believed that all we had to do was see gas prices go up and people would start buying hybrids as well as electric cars. But when I look at Europe, where gasoline is already $8 a gallon with the current exchange rates, guess what? They don't even buy hybrids. They're all into diesels. In Japan, where it's 6 bucks a gallon, ideal market for electric cars, very short commuting distances and the like, a, a, a consumer who's very interested in the latest electronic gadgetry and the like, they don't sell there either. China's pulling its hair out. They have even more generous subsidies than the United States mm -hmm. does. $9,500 rebate right to the customer and no sales tax, and they can't sell these things either. And that tells me that higher gas prices in the U.S. may not do it as well. That's the range and the refilling time issue, I believe. Yeah. Even, even if, if you're going to if you're going to have lunch or shop somewhere for a couple hours, you can put some energy back in your vehicle if there happens to be public charging available, and if it's available, if it's working, and there's not four people lined up ahead of you for it. But if you want to really fill the thing up and get your 80, 90, 100 miles or whatever, it takes a long time. With uh, 220 hours. volt, if you get the, the level three yeah. charger, you might do it in 20 minutes. Yeah, but those are but, very but expensive. They're, they're very expensive and very, and very far and few between. between, right? And so that and that is, if you say, why don't people buy them? And also, they're expensive. Batteries are expensive. They're heavy. I mean, there's there's all kinds of Achilles heels here. The the cost, the range, the reef charge time are three strikes against them. Even though I personally love them, I love driving electric cars. But I'm not going to own one if I can't get to the airport when I need to, or if I can't get somewhere and back when I need to, just not going to happen. That's why the extended range things work, work so well for me. But even, there, can, but even there, I mean, the, one of the problems, this is a high-tech product that doesn't operate, at least not yet, by high-tech cost sort of rules. Mm -hmm. You know, the Moore's Law doesn't operate for batteries, or at least it isn't operating yet. Instead, what you've got is, you know, 8% a year. This is what the people at Tesla were telling me last week when I visited with them. You know, they're hopeful that they can get 8% improvement in cost and energy density. You can kind of trade off between the two. Well, they need a double-digit improvements in, right. in, 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 in a short space of time to really get the cost of, the, of, this, of these batteries down to the point where they you know, have a clear shot at long-term success. So some, you know, maybe someone's going to come up with that breakthrough, but it hasn't happened yet, and, and we've been at it for, what, a century? Yeah. In the automotive sphere? Sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, you go back to the early days of the horseless carriage, and electrics right. dominated the field. Yeah. Nickel metal hydride holds twice the energy per, per volume and weight as what we started with, lead acid, and lithium ion is double that. And it's still a 400 and some pound battery pack to get the equivalent of a half a gallon gas in a volt. So it's still got a long ways to go. And that's still at what, $500, dollars $700 per kilowatt hour? So that's a multi-thousand dollar gas tank that you're buying and it takes forever to refuel it. But what should the country be doing, Manny? Because yeah. I mean, here we are still dependent on oil from countries from countries that, in many cases, could be our enemies. We have all kinds of emissions problems, pollution problem and the like. There's a big worry about CO2. Should the country be doing anything about this? 
Well, I think I, I think both the you know consumers need to look at their own footprint, figure out what they think is proper or not proper, and but you have to balance what 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 you want and expect versus what the government wants you to expect and what the government wants you to do. And I think that the government mandating whether it be CO2 emissions issues or the size of the car that you can drive or how far you can drive is the wrong way to go about it. I and mean, this country has never functioned on the, the prospect of government telling us what to do. It's functioned on individual liberty, and I think that's what it all boils down to. If a customer is comfortable with a Volt, they ought to be able to go out and buy one, and they ought to be able to pay what it, what it costs to do that. Uh, I think that you're going to have a hard time in this country telling people that you have to get into a small car or that you have to buy an electric and you have to learn how to plug it in and when to plug it in, and then the, the merchants all have to have charging stations. I mean, that kind of, that kind of heavy burden isn't going to work. Would you be in favor of taxing fuel higher then? I think Joe is on to something. I think when fuel prices spiked a couple summers ago, there was a marked increase in the number of sales in cars. Consumer behavior changed. Uh, but the politicians don't have this, the backbone to, to, to let that happen. And in fact, they'll go the opposite way. We'll have senators locally here who will you know, say that we need to give back money to the consumers so they can buy gas. Well, that's ridiculous. So I do believe that Joe is on to something that that changes shoppers' behavior. I mean, if you don't like top-down regulation, then it seems to me that the, the, one of the very few, if not the only, sort of intellectually honest alternatives is to raise gas prices. But I, you know, yes, I've been to Europe. I, the problem is that internal combustion technology is getting better, too. So it's not like uh, electric cars or a car like the Volt. Is, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I love the concept of the Volt. Mm -hmm. But as a, as a practical matter, internal combustion engines are getting so much better as all this is going on that now you know, the average compact car is getting 40 miles to the gallon to the highway, where a few years back it was, you know, the good was 30 in that class. Uh, good was 25 in mid-sized cars, now good is 30, 35, or maybe even more. So, and going to get better. And going to get better. And so the target, the sort of the, I call it the pencil target, you know, the sort of the where's my payback target keeps moving and moving and moving. And so the, the, there's got to be either the government is going to have to spend a ton of money to try to force electric cars into the market, uh, which may long term be a good idea. I don't know. Or you let the market operate. And I'm afraid that if the market operates under current circumstances in this country, you don't get a whole lot of electric cars. One of the other things is, is there are alternatives out there. I mean, you mentioned diesels, um, but, but the, there are also have been, there's a history of, of mistakes. I mean, not all that long ago, General Motors and the car companies were pushing corn ethanol as the solution. There were yellow, green and yellow signs everywhere. Guess what didn't happen? Maybe it's natural gas. I mean, there are alternatives out there. And instead of the government saying, this is the one that we're picking, let's let, let's let consumers figure it out. And perhaps in three years, natural gas is the, is the, is the fuel that's going to drive cars as opposed to or maybe it or, will or become some diesel cars. or some certain, right. certain or, yeah. Yeah. duty cycles. Joe, you're right that internal combustion engines and the vehicles driven by them are getting better for fuel economy and every other way, but there is a limit to how much you can do and, there, there's, and at what cost. And there's a saying in racing, you know, John, speed costs money, how fast can you afford to go? <laughs> fuel efficiency costs money, how fuel efficient can we afford to be? Because it's not a technology issue. No, the so-called low-hanging fruit is long gone. So now the technologies keep raising the cost, raising the cost, raising the cost. And I, my fear, in a way, is that um, 10 years from now, if everybody is compliant with the CAFE requirements, which are going up 4 to 5% every year for the next 13 to, you know, to 2025, you may have uh, you know, compact cars costing thirty-five, forty thousand dollars. That yeah, maybe they'll get fifty miles per gallon, 
but I'm, people are going to say, I'll keep the midsize I got now because it serves me better and I'll put up with lower fuel economy. No, I, I think you've nailed the issue here, Gary, because yeah. it, it's, it's cost not just to the consumer but to the car companies. Yes, they can build electric cars and yes, mm -hmm. the government can subsidize them, but people aren't buying them. And even while some people will say, oh, well, but the sales are increasing, we all know that the car companies are losing mega dollars on these electric cars. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I talk to the EPA, they think by 2025, electrics will only be 1% of the market. When I talk to the Natural Resources Defense Council, mm -hmm. the environmentalists who are really, really, really pushing these things, they think it'll be 2% well, by 2025. Hybrid, right? that and that tells me that the car companies are going to lose billions yeah. on See, this. See, my question about this... is forcing them to do it. Right. My right. question about yeah. this, though, is is the whole discussion of uh, building this discussion around the consumer, I'm beginning to wonder, it, it may, I'm beginning to suspect maybe the wrong discussion. Because if you look at electric vehicles, let's, let's set aside the, the plug-in hybrid just for a second. Look at pure electrics. The more you look at that technology, the more it seems to be good for, basically, if you're running a fleet of delivery vans, if you're FedEx, and this is why I think FedEx is so keen to talk about this, because for them, it works. The high cost, they can depreciate their business. The duty cycle, they can manage that. The recharging, they can control that. So instead of having sort of trying to figure out what was the, you know, the randomness of the, of the average consumer and the, the unpredictability of their lives, now you've got something that's predictable, something that you can pencil out as a business. You can take certain kinds of... I don't know why the discussion doesn't turn toward, let's use these alternative technologies for what they're good for. It could well be that that is the answer. I, I still come back to, as an automaker, you know, a, a typical new car program from a clean sheet is a billion dollars. I don't know what the Leaf was or, or the Volt was or any of the electric cars. i got to believe it's substantially more expensive than that. So that means you've got to sell X number of cars over X number of years just to get the payback on the investment that you made. I'm not sure, and I, it's simply because I don't know, is there enough fleet business out there to justify that kind of investment? I, I don't think there is because I think this would have happened earlier had there been because none of these electric cars that we see on the road today or even those that are coming would be there without all these government subsidies and the fact that the law is pushing them to do that. You don't see the market out demanding them. Let, let's get back to sales for a minute. Uh, the whole Volt thing, as you well know, there was very limited availability at first. Early last year, there were still waiting lists. Most dealers didn't yet have them. They were only well, they available. they were only in seven states. 17, I think it was, wasn't it? But anyway, they didn't get nationwide until just about the time the whole fire thing hit, the controversial thing that's been so completely blown out of proportion. Um, that hurt. That piled up the, the inventories toward the beginning of this year. I just talked to uh, Rob Peterson at GM. He says they're looking at maybe doubling uh, February sales in March. Obviously, March isn't over yet as we tape this, but they're looking at uh, 2,000 plus. They were on an upward curve before all the controversy. Now it's on an upward curve again. I'm not saying it's ever going to be high volume, but I think the consumer who's buying this thing is not penciling it and saying, well, how much money do I save over how many years and does it make sense? I think they're buying it because they like the concept and the whole idea of not burning any gas at all most of the time, but it's there when you need it. It's a great idea, even if you pay a little extra for it well, today. And Gen 2 and 3, of course, the cost Well, I agree. Should I, come I, down. I mean, look, people buy, I mean, yeah. if everybody was rational, everyone would buy, you know, a $15,000 subcompact, okay? Mm -hmm. So people don't. People buy $70,000, $80,000, $100,000 cars. That's not rational, but people do it. And I agree with you that, yeah. I mean, I was, I've been talking to people who are in line for a Tesla Model S, which is their, 
they're a family sedan, uh, <laughs> which of uh, fifty to ninety thousand dollars. It's a, it's I've seen one. It's very cool, and and the people are buying it because it's really an emotional thing. I mean, it's it's I by God, I'm going to get off gasoline, and and or and and or wow, I want something. I want a luxury car, but I want something that's like way out on the cutting edge of technology, not just another you know BMW and. I think that may be the, the kind of poll. That they're not have. buying like it because it's not available. Well, but it will be. I mean, they're, yeah. they're signing orders. And then, and then you still down have payments. the limited range issue with the, well, with the and, and let's be honest, down. they're not buying it to substitute their yeah. Cadillac SUV or their, or their you know, Porsche sedan, Panamera or, or whatever. Panamera. It's, yeah, this is an extra. And uh, that's why, you know. That, yeah, so, I, well, yeah, in some cases, in most cases, I think you're probably right. Yes. Here's the real hair-raising thing I see for the auto industry. The fact of the matter is we've had hybrids for over a decade now. You can get little ones and big ones. You can get SUVs and pickups. You can get cheap entry cars and super expensive luxury cars, all hybrids. They're still not even 3% of the market. And that is like a no-brainer. You don't have to plug it in. You don't have to do anything. All you do is you start it up and you drive and you notice in the readout, hey, I'm getting terrific fuel economy. And they still don't sell. So, you know, we've been talking about the Volt not selling. Guess what? So far this year, it has handily outsold the Nissan Leaf and the Mitsubishi I. Yeah. So if we think General Motors has got problems with its extended range electric, Nissan's got to be pulling its hair out because by the end of this year, they're supposed to open a plant in Tennessee that can build 150,000 of these things a year, plus 200,000 battery packs. Yeah. That's on top of the plant they got in Japan, on top of the plant that they're building in Europe. I mean, and now Ford's coming out with its electric. Everyone's going to have electrics, and I think all you're going to do is slice up very finely this one or two percent that are interested in buying electric cars. Well, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I just came from an Infinity event, and they have, I haven't seen it yet, but they have, their, their concept car is an extended range EV. Now they have a lot of concept in, cars, in, but one of, them, show. Yeah. one of you know one of them is they're doing a Volt-like extended range EV because maybe they're saying, oh, maybe we can't do it with pure electrics. Maybe we need that range extender engine in there, which obviously adds another layer of cost and complexity. Well, and the government, you know, I mean, the government is it does have incentives for these companies to go ahead and roll the dice on these cars because you get big credits under under the CAFE system. To ha if you have these cars, California is pretty, more or less demanding that you have these cars, and then yeah. California is in a nation-state market, you know, buried within our country. So you can't just totally ignore that. Although I was just in California, and I can tell you right now that uh, you know, even there, hybrids are few and far between. I rolled up to a restaurant which I had no business being at. And the car that kind of struck my eye was a big black Rolls Royce. So, I mean, that's what they're driving in California. And well, they, uh, don't make no mistake. California buys more hybrids than any other place in the world. But it's still not enough. It's still not enough to make a return when, for most cars. And when you do a windshield survey of what's on the road in California, you, know, you, yeah. you see a few hybrids, but it's by no means the preponderance of vehicles. Oh, and, and the Volt now is just now rolling out that is eligible for the high-occupancy vehicle lanes out there, and that's a huge advantage. If you're living in California with that rule that you can't drive, you know, you're, this Volt will do it, the older one won't. I saw a billboard along the, the freeway uh, south of San Francisco advertising this fact, and I actually will be watching because that actually yeah. could make a significant, certainly short-term difference in Volt sales sure. because without that HOV lane um, pass, uh, the de you know the demand and the use no that's huge in California limited. because yeah. what really drove that point home to me is when 
you had hybrids early on, you could use the HOV lanes. And then they said, no, this is crazy. You know, we've got all these people sailing through the HOV lanes where their cars do best in stop and go traffic, yeah, right. really, from a yeah. fuel economy I know, there's, there's, there is yeah. nothing sillier than, than, a, than a Prius going 90 miles an hour. That, that's right. Yeah. But anyway, what, what they, they did is they then said, okay, you can't get the HOV lane on your a sticker on your hybrid. Then what became the hottest thing in the California market, briefly, were used Priuses and Civics <laughs> that had those stickers on well, them. the Civic right. Natural so, Gas. Yeah. And that yeah. now will be, uh, be able to go in those lanes. So just to, to drive home that point, that is a very important selling proposition in California. So what's the it right is, answer? Well, is, the, should, the government, should the government just say, okay, hands off, let's say fair, and then what are we going to get? The government has a role to play in safety, and, and you know, they, they, need to, they need to keep an eye on if, if, if consumers and Americans are getting behind the wheel of a car, they can in, there's a safety component to it, absolutely. The government has no business telling companies what kind of technology they, they should be putting in a car, what kind of car people should be buying. They, you know, personally, I don't think the government should be telling companies what the fuel economy should be of the car. I truly believe. You talk about California as a nation state and onto itself, and the car companies can't ignore California. But we can't forget about the rest of the nation. I drove across the country this summer with the family, and there are entire stretches of this country where you drive by an auto dealership and you can't even see a compact car on the lot. It is trucks as far as the eye can see. And the people in Washington and the people in California fail to recognize that. And so somewhere in the rest of this world here, the, the, the government needs to realize that the people who are buying cars, a lot of them are buying them for utility. Some people are buying them for style and for whatnot, but that the, the, they're being lost, their voices are being lost. And the government does need to play a role in safety, I would argue, but overall, their fingers are in too many Well, this gets back here. to the beginning of our discussion. There is, I mean, there is absolutely, I mean, this is, to me, this, there is a red state, blue state aspect to this. It's a cultural thing. I mean, what you just described, it's a cultural thing. If you're in the coast, you're fine with a smaller car. You're maybe in, 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 and you're fine with an electric car or a hybrid car. That kind of fits, that kind of fits what you think is good. A lot of pe you're right. I think a lot of people in the center of the country, you know, owning a truck goes part and parcel, hand in hand, with an attitude toward top-down government control of my life. And they're, they're hostile to it. I mean, it, it's all... It kind of weaves it together. It is, but I keep coming back to this point that electrics and hybrids don't sell well elsewhere in the world. And I've had people tell me, oh, it's because Americans aren't intelligent enough as they are in Europe. And I go, oh, wait a minute. These things aren't selling anywhere in the world. So, you know, I, and I, I do agree with what you're saying on the blue and red state kind of thing attitude. But I'm just pointing out it's not just here in the U.S. Well, and the other thing is, I, you know, look, I mean, experimenting with a cell phone. When, you know, remember cell phones were a grand. A guy I was talking to reminded me of this. You know, he's, he's a Tesla enthusiast. He said, look, you know, I bought my first cell phone, or the company bought one for me. It was 1500 bucks. You know, now they're 30 bucks. <laughs> so, but I, th I, I think there is a difference. I think a lot of people are, are not as willing to step up to sort of a beta product at forty dollars or $50,000. That's, that's a tougher step. That, that's yeah. a big, tough step. Look, guys, we're out of time here. This has been a great discussion. We're going to have to come back and do it because it's not going away. But Joe White, Gary Witzenberg, Manny Lopez, thanks so much for coming in. And I'm going to have you back and want to thank all of you for having tuned in.